It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we got Jerry Tutunjin. He's down in Long Beach, California, co-founder, one of his brands, CanAid. We're going to talk about the beverage market, uh, all of cannabis in California. There's direct sales down in Cali, so I kind of want to get your opinion about that and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, Jerry, thanks for being with us on The Talking Hedge. No, thank you for having me, Josh. It's a pleasure is mine. How'd you get into the cannabis space? Cannabis space. I started cultivating. Uh, I started growing for myself years ago, over a decade ago. Uh, I was a closet grower. <laughs> what, what was your go-to? Were you uh, were you doing some some old school? Uh, yeah, strain. Old school, like- yeah, Kush. Some OGs. I had a really good OG cut. Uh, it was such an amazing cut that I promised at the time that I would never lose, but uh, I lost that a couple of years ago, but a uh, very piney, very potent, uh, a heavy, heavy indica. Um, but yeah, I just started cultivating in the closet for myself. And then the closet turned into a small warehouse and then the small warehouse turned into a big warehouse. And then that big warehouse turned into a dispensary in, in the front of it. And then another dispensary and then snowball effect just, here I am today. <laughs> so you're you're a, a vertically integrated producer, processor, retailer, unlike Washington State, where it's limited on what you can do down there. You're I'm assuming you're a license holder. Right? Uh yeah. So right now we're uh right now at this point in my career, um I'm a license holder for a uh a type seven uh, manufacturing facility. And within the same uh, facility, we have a type 11 distribution license. So we are able to self-distribute and distribute other products. Uh, the other interests I had in the retail stores and cultivation facilities I have sold off. Um, I have a lot of experience doing it, uh, doing cultivation and, and running operations for a dispensary, but no longer have any interest in it. Uh, right now, our focus is uh, manufacturing and distribution, both self and other companies that might need assistance with sales and distribution. What made that decision for you? Because right now we're seeing a lot of publicity about MedMen and how popular they were. And we saw the crash and burn because they just didn't have the management and foresight to stay relevant. Uh, why pass up that MSO, that immediate hot money yeah. to yeah. be the equivalent of a farmer branding your your goods uh that's a great question i get asked that question a lot um you know the uh dispensaries are good because like you mentioned it's instant immediate cash flow um however to maintain that those massive amounts of cash flow to maintain uh, a good location that is going to be able to compete and compete with two different factors. Let's not forget this. The black market competition for the, for the retail establishments are, are far more fierce, uh, but also compete with all the regular dispensaries and licensed dispensaries that are out there. You need a flawless organization um, you need a really good team around you. Not that you don't with manufacturing, you need with manufacturing as well, but it's just the daily strain and, and demands and stress levels 
operating a retail establishment are far greater. And, you know, honestly, I was good at what I was doing. We were good as a team at what we were doing. We were successful. But I think the strenuous every single day competition just burned me out. You know, the store is open seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, our manufacturing facility, you know, the staff works Monday through Friday. I mean, I work Saturdays, but I get to spend Sunday with my children. Uh, so I think it was just the, the constant grind and the constant, constantly competing with, with the black market and with regulation and, and taxes and some of these things that we could have written off that we can't write off uh, with cannabis stores. I, I just, I got burned out, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of my partners and investors and, and mentors till this day say that that was probably a mistake, but you know, sometimes you have to consider quality of life as well. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, seeing direct sales? Cause there has been a lot of people who spent a ton of money on these rec licenses. 25 million in Phoenix is not abnormal. Uh, whereas in Washington, you could get one for 150 grand. <laughs> but when you have direct sales bypassing all of that investment in the retail, that's a massive red flag to me. And that's what we're seeing in Cali right now is these producers and processors bypassing retailers. Um, so you, in, in, in theory, you yourself could be selling directly to the consumer, bypassing the retail outlets and therefore, all the money and investment that went in the retail is, is out the window because they're not getting their cut. Um, have you seen that? How is that working? And is it legal? Um, you know, I, I in Cali, um, I haven't, in California, I haven't really um, seen much of it yet as it pertains to uh, THC products. Hmm. Um you obviously, because of the farm bill, you see it with uh, hemp derived CBD products. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, it's a big hit. You know, um, I'm going to give uh, you and your listeners some, some really uh, um, valuable insight and insider information on, on, on how this thing works. The leverage holder in the industry, especially in, Canada, uh, in California, is a retailer they have the most leverage. Mm -hmm. I produce a product or a grower cultivates product. All right, cool story. So where's that product going? It needs to go on a shelf. Mm -hmm. And who dictates that? The retail establishment, the buyer, the manager, the owner, so on and so forth. So they hold the most leverage. Honestly, if they say jump and we're going to put this on the shelf, well, we're going to have to say how high, right? Unless unless, Unless you have a really well built brand that's that's been there since 1996 let's say which not many of them exist but you know a a good five six seven eight year brand multi-state operator multi-state brand that's really recognized everybody else you're at the mercy of uh, that purchaser or that dispensary uh, buying into your product believing in it and putting on putting it on your shelf so they hold the most leverage but now to bypass that that's a game changer which is why branding is so important. You know, I, I was, uh, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was reading one of my interviews that I did for MG Magazine four years ago. Um, and I re- and as, as I was reading it, I, I talk a lot about branding four years ago. Um, and 
you know, that stays true now today. So if you're really well branded, if you're a brand uh, and you're really well branded, a couple things happen. Um, Before you get into you, that, let me, let me push back on you real quick and then you can address, address yeah. the, the pushback I've got is that brands don't matter because it's still the highest THC at the lowest price point. Price and convenience are the two factors most people look at. So having said that, we are seeing California brands being purchased uh, in Mexico. They're paying $500 for certain brands that they're yeah. paying $120 for in Mexico. So uh, there's contradictory statements to what I've been seeing. Are we now starting to see brands become more important and popular than the THC and price? No, THC price is, is, is always going to be the thing that's going to be the, the final uh, nail in the coffin, so to speak, right? At the end of the day, that's, that's what it's all about. It's been about that for, for, for over a decade since. I, I mean, the first time we opened No Organic, Geez, uh, nine years ago, it was it was THC and price. It, it goes on today. So that, you're absolutely right. That's a good point. But so, but, what was your what was your opinion four years ago about branding, and how has it changed now? So, the importance of branding now. Um, if you have uh, once you establish a, a well brand branded product, um, but it needs to be right. Okay, the mission statement needs to be accurate it needs to you need to create a rapport with your customer base okay and if and if you follow through and it's consistent now customers don't mind every now and then paying five dollars more or ten dollars more uh and and sort of moving towards a product that they believe in that they've had an experience with that is consistent they enjoyed it this has become their brand i mean let me put it to you this way I, everybody drinks coffee. Who doesn't? I mean, I, I mean, most people drink coffee. I drink coffee. Um, you know, 7-Eleven has some good coffee. McDonald's has some good coffee. But my go-to coffee is Starbucks. You, you see what I'm saying? If I want a coffee that I know is going to uh, meet my needs and my desires, I go to Starbucks. Is it more expensive than 7-Eleven and McDonald's? Yes, it is. Uh, do I sometimes bypass that and go to McDonald's and 7-Eleven? Yes, I do. But at the end of the day, my go-to coffee is Starbucks because of the experience that they've built with me. They've created a, a relationship with me. So branding is still very important, especially if we're moving into direct sales. If we have direct sales now, now what needs to happen is now you're going to see the dispensaries start branding some of their own products. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they have nothing to sell. If Canade is using direct sales and selling, if Stizzy is using direct sales and selling, if uh, Plug and Play is creating direct sales and selling directly to the consumer, what's on the shelves in those dispensaries? Is the market mature enough to, to hold that statement to be true? Because right now, if you look at a traditional product, because you mentioned coffee and cannabis, those are both psychoactive, so people are going to be drawn to those no matter what. If you yeah. look at a purse, um, you know, if, if um, your mom, wife, girlfriend, whatever is looking at coach or Louis Vuitton or something like that, um, it's going, it, there's certain social societal pressures that make you want to go after something that's nice. When in sure. reality, like you mentioned, a lot of the commercials kind of try to go like Super Bowl is, is perfect. They try to get at your emotions and, and try to tug at you and get you to 
uh, adopts, you know, their products based on um, comparing and um, trying to draw you in with their beliefs, right? So traditional advertising and marketing is, like you mentioned, drawing you to their product. Uh, are yeah. we at that level yet? Is the mature mark? Um, is it is the market mature enough to do traditional advertising? Um, because it seems like the bud tender is really the one driving the products right now. If yeah. it's not price and convenience, you still need that Starbucks equivalent person to sure. know your name and draw you in. So you're more attracted to the individual than the corporation. It's just that the corporations. Um, uh, corporate culture is that they're engaging and they're supposed they're paid to like you and, and to get you back in. The psychoactive component is coffee of coffee is what keeps you coming back, just like cannabis. So if the bud tender is just as good as the Starbucks employee, is the advertising going to draw in other people? Are we at a mature market enough in order to advertise traditionally and, and have that be all that's required or needed? Not yet. We, you know, the reason I was thinking about that answer for so we've it's changed a lot and it has gotten a, a lot better, a lot better. But we are not there yet. You're absolutely right. You know that the bartenders, um, the dispensing agents, I call them, the rapport and connection they've created with some of their clientele, their customer base, or their patients. Uh, that's still a huge factor. You mentioned another huge factor, THC low price, right? It almost seems like it's a race to the bottom at this point, but that has uh, a lot to do with the black market that we're still fighting in California, by the way, we're still fighting it. And it's, and it is our biggest enemy. Uh, so, um, but to answer your question, no, um, we're not there yet. The markets, the industry is not mature enough, but it has come a long way. Absolutely has for sure. How do you fight that legacy market? I'm looking at, you know, I just, bought another vape pen because I've got carcasses everywhere and they always die. So I'm looking at the tobacco and it's $18 a pound. Um, you know, Canada is still growing at $6 a gram us, maybe a buck 30, you know, at the lowest Columbia is planning on putting in five cents per gram cost of goods sold. So if it is a race to the bottom in terms of commodity, just like any other crop, you know, um, what's that going to look like? How do you survive? Uh, how do you pivot to stay relevant? That is the uh, million dollar question. <laughs> I, you know, I, um, I don't like what I'm seeing. A lot of what I'm seeing, a lot of the data. Um, it's definitely uh, the industry's uh, changed a ton. Um, but I think uh, another issue is, I believe it's it's stabilizing, okay? You have to understand a lot of the operators, uh, a lot of the people uh, that are within this industry have been in this industry for a long period of time. Um, so therefore we're used to um, 10 years ago, uh, let's say an eighth cost us 20 bucks we'd sell it for 45 bucks and all we'd have to pay was sales tax at that, at that point in time, you know, now you have excise tax, you have cultivation tax, you have city tax, state tax, you have all these taxes and that's been passed along to the consumer. 
which is the biggest ammunition that the illegal market has because they use that and 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 essentially say oh we don't have all these add-ons and all these taxes it's still 45 dollars at our by us right but our industry is sort of stabilizing and and we're creating some sort of structure uh regulation was good i liked it I still uh, believe in it. I, I feel like uh, we were going to have these bumpy roads, but um, I think the people within the industry are understanding how to work within the structure now uh, and this and this and this compliant regulated market. And I believe also firmly that the customers are are, are and, and the patients are coming around because there's a lot of good things. You know, testing is very important. You don't know uh, what's in 99% of these things that are out in the illegal market. You really do not. You know, uh, coming from a manufacturing uh, facility, I can tell you that there, there can be a, a bunch of stuff uh, that are in products that are potentially very harmful. Absolutely. So testing is huge. Um, um, you know, safe access is huge. So. Uh, how do you fight it? I think it's just you, you, you go through the storm. You know, I, I really do believe that. And if you can survive, you survive. And, and easier said than done, absolutely. I bet you there's a bunch of operators watching this right now and saying, oh, geez, you, 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 that's coming off the tongue quite easy. Yes, I know. Easier said than done. Mm -hmm. But it's a startup. The entire industry is a startup. You know, for entrepreneurs who've had a startup, they know how difficult the startup business is. So the entire industry is a, is a little baby infant startup. So just got to go through these tough times and the, the storm will pass and the sun will come out. It always does. As a manufacturer, talk to me about the process of going through a retailer and the leverage that they have. In Washington state, it's a 3X markup. So you bring a product, you know, $100 an ounce, they're going to sell it for 300. The customer ultimately is the is the decision maker when it comes to price. And so you can put a gram of concentrate uh, for vape pens at $200 or $1,000 for a gram if you want. Put it at a million, whatever. List it for whatever you want. The reality is people are only going to pay a certain price. That reality mm. is around $40 for you know normal vape carts, $60 for top shelf, but people are going to wait for a sale before they really buy those. Having said that, Retailers still kind of command that price point. They have a lot of leverage, generally speaking. I'm not that familiar with the California market. It is the world's fifth largest market by GDP. There's a lot of places you can choose to go and work from. So a follow-up question is going to be, how in the hell do you decide to, to choose where to sell your products from Reading to San Diego? <laughs> yeah. but, but first... Like walk me through the process of the leverage that retailers have from the perspective of a manufacturer. Um, so there's a couple, this is multifaceted, right? There's a couple of things going on. Number one, a lot of these, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the stores and a, and, a, and a lot of the dispensaries are still trying to create the internal structure they're they're scrambling to get catch up to regulation compliance structure okay uh, a corporate business structure so to speak now mind you as i'm saying all these things the industry is moving 
at a million miles per hour in Cal, especially in California. I'm not too familiar with Washington State, but especially in, in Los Angeles and in, in California, actually all throughout California. So as the industry is moving so fast, a lot of these dispensaries are trying to catch up and create a corporate structure. They don't really, who, I mean, okay, so you were the purchaser, you're the floor manager, can you do some of the buying? Are you the decision maker? You're the owner. It's still a really uh, unorganized situation for majority of these dispensaries. Secondly, the ones that do have it organized, it's really difficult to get a hold of the purchasing manager or decision maker. Uh, you have to go through emails. Uh, you called call, 90% of them say email the product, okay? You email the product. They probably get 30 to 50 emails a day. So how do you, how, how are, is your brand or is your email gonna pop out, right? Um, the third uh, strategy we use is we show up with some samples and we just leave some samples. This is probably the most effective strategy. Um, obviously it needs to be metric and so on and so forth in California. So we gather all the information, we metric it and we hope that they accept some of the samples that, that, that they can try or, or take a look at or view at least. And um, it just takes a lot of time to just keep on pounding that wall until you, you make a break somewhere. Um, and then after you make the break, now it's time to close it which is probably the biggest, one of the hardest things to do, right? And shelf space is scarce. There's um, a lot of brands in, in, in California specifically. Like you mentioned, it's a major uh, market. So a, a, a bunch of brands want to come out here and, and, and produce products here and sell their products here. So shelf space is scarce. Um, uh, shelf, uh, shelf space uh, is being offered for sale now. You know, we always talked about that for years. We were discussing it, and then I heard people discussing it. You know, nobody ever really pulled the trigger, but now you're seeing that. You know, you want shelf space, you want us to place an order. Here's your shelf. This is how much it's going to cost you monthly. Pay for it, and we'll place an order. So, I think, it's think, planet, 13, I think planet 13 yeah. is charging fifty thousand dollars a month to have a uh, shelf space, an end cap right when you walk in. The first thing you see, bam. That thing, I believe, wow. is, is 50 grand in Vegas. That's crazy. Yeah, and you're seeing it here in L.A. too. Um, and uh, also uh, promos. You know, you, you, one of the things they ask is, are you going to hold a promo? Are you going to hold, are you going to do butt tender training? Are you going to do, which these are all things that you should do as a brand. Do you have a choice though? Like if they're going to discount your product and, and put it on sale, is, do you have a choice on that? Um, do you have a choice to run uh, promos like patient appreciation days and, and whatnot? No, as a manufacturer, you're giving your product to a retailer and then the retailer is supposed to sell it for a hundred bucks, but they're like, hey, everything's on sale, 50% off. Like, do you have a choice whether or not you participate in that? Uh, not, not really, no. Yeah. You're just happy to be on the shelves, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. uh, some, things, some things that we do practice is we try to we try to check in with the dispensaries that we're in and we, we, we try to make sure that, uh, for lack of a better phrase, a phrase a, a, a price gouging isn't going, I don't want, you know, if, if, a, if we have a pre-roll and our pre-roll uh, sells in the market anywhere from 12 to $15 and we walk into one of our stores and they're selling it for 25, 
Mm. We have a serious conversation with that dispensary. Uh, at the end of the day, we don't have a choice. They'll price it at whatever they want to price it at. But like you mentioned, the customer sets the price and, and most likely the customer isn't going to walk in and purchase that pre-roll, which after the, all the dominoes fall affects us directly. So, but in terms of choice, honestly, uh, you know, uh, this is just full transparency. The retailers have all the leverage in the world. We really don't have, I mean, I don't think, you know, the customer's always right. And in our case, they're the customer. So they're always right. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, so how do you decide where to go? California is a big place. There's a lot of people. Are you yeah. trying to just do the proximity like closest to your facility or how do you, how do you, how do you get out to everyone? And, and what's, what's the thought process around scaling to get hundred percent exposure or potential, um, you know, to, to blanket California? Very tough. Good question. That's it's, it's extremely difficult. A lot uh, you know, a bunch of meetings, a bunch of strategizing, a bunch of planning, but essentially you, uh, we've sectioned off California into four sections. Uh, so we have the San Diego area, which is, a, which is a pretty good market. Their taxes are horrendous, but it's a good market. Um, then we have the LA to sort of Fresno area, right? So from, from actually from San Diego up to the Fresno area, uh, which obviously covers Long Beach and, and LA. Those are the big markets, right? LA is a huge market. Then we have the San Jose, San Francisco area, and then we have everything else up north. Um, we try to, um, we, we, again, a lot of strategizing. We have a lot of sales reps uh, and we section them off in those areas. Uh, now distribution um, is a major issue. Right now, we're in a position where we're able to self-distribute because we don't have that many accounts outside of the Los Angeles, Long Beach, up to Fresno area. Once we, let's say a year down the line, San Francisco blows up and we have about 30 shops there. We're, at that point, you're going to have to uh, uh, strike a deal with the distributor up there and, and, you know, pay some fees so they can distribute your products up there. But at this point right now, um, again, two meetings every week, sales meeting, and then like direct meetings with the reps that are in those areas. And, um, you know, we have, I'd say in San Diego, we have about, we're in about four or five shops. In the San Francisco area, we're in about, I'd say another six, six, seven shops. And I think up north, we're in about two shops. So, you know, that's enough for us to, let's say, bi-weekly go out there once and take care of our distribution and come back down. But you absolutely make a good point. Once it gets bigger, larger, more accounts, which, you know, the market above LA, everybody thinks about Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, San Francisco and that whole Northern California, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a completely different world. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a, it can be a state in itself. Mm -hmm. it, it's a market in itself. So, you know, once we haven't opened the, the doors to that market just yet, but once we do, we're going to have to, you have no choice but to strike a distribution deal with a distributor up there. 
Yeah. Whenever I talk to people like internationally and they say the American culture and I'm like, there's cultures, this plural Have you been <laughs> to Louisiana, like the Cajun yeah. people of Louisiana yeah. don't even speak English, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just totally different. Yeah. Um, so when you look at uh, cannabis in California, a lot of people think Snoop Dogg, right? But Leaf by Snoop is not as popular. Um, and I don't know this based on sales numbers. I, I'm just, I'm assuming that cookies are, are outselling Leaf by Snoop. What is your take on um, those two brands and um, the dominance that this unknown rapper has, Burner, over the, the most famous, you know, West Coast rapper, Snoop Dogg. How did that, cookies. how did Cookies beat Snoop Dogg? Cookies, good friends of mine. Uh, uh, yeah, Burner, Alex, the whole crew, shout out to Cookies. I like them, bro. Yeah, how did they beat, oh, um, strategizing, man, strategy, teamwork. It's a massive team. Cookies is a massive, massive team, a huge operation, a lot of retail, uh, retail locations. And, and we're talking about this leverage again. You know, they, they have the leverage to, to carry Leaf Spice Snoop, right? But they, they didn't, they chose, I don't, I don't think I've seen one Leaf Spice Snoop in a cookie store. I mean, I don't know if they sell out. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't know what the strategy is behind that. They're my friends. I talk to them about friend stuff and Canade, and that's it. I, I don't get into any other business, but mm -hmm. I don't know what the issue, what what the situation there is. But you know, when you have all these retail locations, you carry a ton of leverage, and you're able to brand your brand better, easier. You don't have to go to another store and say, "Hey, carry cookies," right? You just created a cookie store. And I think it was a, a massive branding play and it just, it was a, it was a snowball effect. It just got off the cliff and the product's good. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, uh, no, no consumer is going to pay. I don't care how much hype is behind it. If uh, uh, the product's not good, no one's paying, you know, some of these eights that they have is like $60 plus all the taxes it comes out, you know, it's, 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 it's a good chunk for an average, you know, uh, citizen in, in Southern California. It's, it's, it's a lot of money, but the product is good product. It's branded perfectly. They're geniuses when it comes to branding. Um, they're huge supporters of Canade. Uh, actually, one of the uh, uh, day one supporters. So, again, shout out to them. But, you know, to answer your question... I think, again, the fact that they had the leverage with the retail establishments and, and they didn't, they did not let up, you know, there was no moment of comfort within that organization. They fought and they, they, they had a good plan, a good strategy to, to use that leverage of the retail stores and brand and market. And you combine that with an actual good product that's inside those Mylar bags. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect storm for success. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very proud of them, honestly, the good group, hardworking group. I've been trying to take them out to dinner for like uh, two years. They don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they don't, they don't just sit at home. They're grinding, they're hustling yeah. every day, seven days a week. Good group of guys. Yeah. They just expanded to the East coast. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said it's about the product inside the Mylar bag. I yeah. think with Snoop Dogg, he thought his name would would carry this legacy and everyone yes. would smoke this fire. But the reality is, is if you're not actually 
buying that top shelf that you know the cola that everybody wants the fire uh, in Washington State, you have Willie Nelson who left. We don't have celebrity cannabis because no one gives a shit. Literally, like no one cares about celebrity. And I think Leaf by Snoop kind of highlights that. No one cares about Burner. No offense to his rapping capabilities. No one cares about the rapper. Everyone's talking about cookies. And I think if there's one takeaway, it's about quality, consistency, reliability, dependability, everything when you go and you get the same thing. People want those genetics. They don't care yep. who's selling it. Yep. Um, having said that, man, you got an uphill battle yourself. You're going to be competing with your own beverage company, CanAid, against uh, Constellation Brands, right? So Constellation Brands just dropped $4 billion back in like 2018 or something up in, uh, in Canada, had to write off at least a billion of that because it was, you know, ill-invested. Um and so in Washington state, we don't even have coffee, man, home of Starbucks and, and everything yeah. <laughs> else. And yet you don't have ready to, to drink. RTD coffee is not a thing. And I'm not talking about the K cups because that's not coffee people. <laughs> so what is the deal with, with uh, beverages? I understand that even with Coca-Cola, they have regional facilities and they don't even have, like, if you have to copy that, that whole uh, procedures, it's really expensive. And even the coffee from legal soda bounced out of Washington. They're like, screw you and your taxes were gone. They went to Oregon. And I think they're a small batch because they sell out every time I try to go. It's 15 bucks for a 12 ounce coffee. So it's like, damn, mm. I'm not going to be buying that every day. But at what point can we get beverages across i mean not across maybe there's a freudian slip when can we get beverages to everybody is it going to be a legalization where you have cross borders and you can actually afford to have you know multiple facilities um talk to me a little bit about your beverage company and how the hell you're going to scale yeah um so canade um canade is a a, a mittable metable mixer so it's a it's a mixable syrup of sorts um it's not intended to drink by itself. It's those small little, like a five-hour energy shot. I did is this not a syrup? Well. Yeah, it's exactly okay. what it is. <laughs> okay. okay. So, um, but that's the cool thing about it because of the different options it gives you, right? The different, it allows you to use your creativity. If you, you know, some, you know, we've heard everything from ice cream, yogurt, to rosé, champagne, to uh, water, just basic water or or Perrier and LaCroix is a popular one and you know where they get it a little bubbly so um you know it it allows uh the consumer to be creative with the product and use it as they see fit or as they want to use it um having said that the beverage sector in the uh cannabis space is a very interesting one it is a sector that is taking off right now. It is the hottest sector. Uh, that's both uh, based on visualization and experience and data. Uh, so it's very interesting. A lot of companies, uh, the top tier companies, um, have unbelievable numbers in terms of sales. Now, how do we get it from state to state or, or, or cross borders? Obviously, short answer is once we're federally legalized, then we can, you know, strategize and, and sort of follow the Coca-Cola floor plan or Coca-Cola game plan and strategy, right? 
Um, until then, um, we're going to have to make some licensing deals with operators that are operating in certain states. For instance, you know, right now we're, I'm working on something both in Colorado and in Michigan where they want specifically our syrup, our recipe, our formula, the taste, the high, the feel of the high, the feel of the metabolization and, and after effects uh, are, are all attributes that they want their product to possess. So now the plan is the negotiation of getting a licensing deal done in let's say Michigan or in, in Colorado. Um, it's very complicated, a ton of attorney fees, a ton of back and forth. <laughs> you know, the, the lawyers always win. <laughs> they do. They're the ones selling the picks and shovels, man. That's for real. Um, what was the process of creating that though? Like, I'm sure you just didn't like wake up one day and have everything formulated perfectly back in the day with the sodas. At least there was a little oil at the top. They didn't homogenize it correctly. Uh, oil and water didn't mix. Um, how was that process? What, what was some learning experiences, trial and error? How did that all work? Jeez. Three years, three years of trial and error. So we started with the base recipe. Um, it was a simple syrup base recipe. Um, and then just learning everyday cooking. Uh, uh, a lot of leave this on the shelf dated. Uh, have you ever watched, uh, I'm sure you've watched I Am Legend with Will Smith, where he's trying to find the cure and he's like documenting everything with the microphone and right. It was a lot of that. It was, you know, documentation, video, pictures. Okay, this was made on this day. It sat here. How long did it take for the oil to separate? Did the oil separate at all? Um, after about six months of that, uh, uh, six months of Google and YouTube and and, and reading and reading stuff that I never really thought I would be reading. Uh, if I was going to be reading, I'd probably go to med school or some sort of, I don't know, bi biology, chemistry. But, you know, it, I, I had a mission. I was, I was, uh, I had to do this. I had to figure it out. And that's, that's, you know, one of the uh, tendencies I have, man. If I zoom in and something and say, I got to figure this out, I have to figure it out. So after about six, seven months of trial and error and reading and Google and YouTube and all that stuff, I uh, enlisted the services of a food chemist um, who, quite frankly, didn't really, it was the first time she was being approached for, for syrup, cannabis THC infused syrup. And, you know, right away, again, first thing is like, uh, oil and water don't mix. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of an issue here. Um, so she helped me out a little bit. And then we discussed, decided that we needed the help of another food chemist. Uh, so it was the combined effort of two food chemists, me and my entire team, and about two years of trial and error. Uh, and we finally tweaked and uh, uh, put together a, a very, very strict step-by-step -step procedure uh, with, with times and time limits and temperatures that need to be reached. And uh, just, it, you, need to, you need to make sure if that thing says 20 minutes and 30 seconds, whatever you're doing needs to be 20 minutes and 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. If the temperature says 180 degrees, it needs to get to 180 degrees. So uh, it's, it's, it's not, 
you know, our brand is very colorful. It's very fun. You know, and we advertise it as such. But manufacturing it is not fun. <laughs> lab coats, you know, hair nets, beard nets, timers, uh, thermostats on everybody's, uh, around everybody's neck, timers around everybody's neck, and just a lab. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say we have a, a product that's doing pretty well. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, thankfully, with the support of, of a, a lot of these uh, retail establishments, but um, we have nothing but good feedback from, from consumers. And that's what makes me so happy and so proud. When the consumer writes us, you know, a DM or writes us a review on our Read Maps page um, or some of the butt tenders give me some reviews, you know, it, it was all worth it. You know, the blood, sweat and tears were worth it. What's the behavioral change that is causing that increase in demand? You said that beverages are taking off. And I know since 2018, a lot of investors have been anticipating beverages to take off, but haven't really seen it. And in fact, there's been um, a, a lot of regulatory constraints around CBD infused beverages on the West Coast. California started it. Washington State followed suit in August of 2018, banning infused CBD drinks. Uh, so we haven't quite seen, I mentioned that we still don't have infused coffee, uh, but you're mentioning that these, these small beverages that you're these, um, yeah, beverages that you're making are selling. Is it because they're high dosage do you have like a thousand milligrams in there because we're capped at a hundred which it, i don't buy it i buy rso because that's the only edible i'm going to buy because it's a thousand milligrams i'm 100 milligrams to me is nothing um yeah and so i'm curious the behavioral change that's driving people to the beverages is it during the pandemic is that why because people don't want to combust flour obviously is the most uh, popular skew out there still yeah but yeah. beverages and edibles have, have been increasing in popularity during this pandemic for fear of combusting, maybe because they're at home, maybe because they want something that's going to last all day. Uh, in your opinion, what's driving the increase in demand? Um, I think uh, that's a great question. I think the how we as uh, humans have been socially trained to grab a beer or socially um, discuss a good subject over uh, a glass of wine or, or a glass of whiskey. I think that is transitioning into the cannabis market and in specifically the regulated uh, compliant legal cannabis market. You don't have a lot of these drinks uh, in the illegal market and they're not quite successful if, if you have any. Um, but I think as we are, as a, uh, as adults, uh, as humans, as we're becoming more, uh, socially okay with cannabis, I think we're, we're not there yet to like fill up a bowl and just, I mean, we still do that, but if we're having, we're with a group of friends, I think we're just like socially trained to, to grab a, cannabis infused tonic and sit down and watch the game maybe you know like yesterday we were watching the the the, the cowboys uh, the nfl kickoff right uh, and naturally the first thing i did is is like i just popped open a beer after you know i had some wings or whatever i just pop
popped open a beer with a couple of my friends and we were talking and watching the game. And then uh, after that beer, I started drinking a cannabis infused tonic. You know, it just, it, it, I, I feel like um, it's easier to medicate, more convenient to medicate, similar to edibles. But I feel like when there are social gatherings or when you're watching the baseball game or when you're watching a movie and you're accustomed to maybe having a glass of wine, I feel like that's being substituted by the cannabis infused drink. Mm. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of push uh, for CBD. CBD is like the gateway for for cannabis. Um, whereas you know dabbing is kind of this this uh, hardcore high THC product that I thought would get a lot more popularity and hasn't. Um, it's not as popular as, as flour, but it's more popular than the topicals and tinctures. Where do you think beverages are going to land when, when the whole country opens up, when global legalization happens? Do you think that flour is still going to be a dominant factor or do you think it'll be consumption with edibles, beverages? Uh, when, when all of this opens up worldwide, what is going to be the most dominant form of use? I think flowers. I'm for a crystal bong prediction here. <laughs> I think flowers always going to be the leader of the pack. I don't think that's going to change. Um, I, you know, to be honest, when I was leaving the retail establishments, uh, uh, selling them off, I, I had an option of going into manufacturing or cultivation. I'm going to be completely honest. I, I regret the decision to go into manufacturing uh, because. I didn't believe in flour then. And this is about three years ago, four years ago. I felt like flour was going to uh, die off. And these new ways of consumption, whether it be edibles or the vapes or the, the concentrates for dabbing was going to take over. I'm just being completely transparent here and honest with you. I feel like uh, that flour is always going to be the leader of the pack. Now, having said that, um, I think consumption via edibles and drinks is going to leapfrog everybody and take over second place there and grab a hold. I think vaping is going to die off. I think concentrates are going to die off um, because you're always, let me put it to you this way. If we're, if we're comparing this to, to pharmaceuticals, right? Old school pharmaceuticals. Do we have more people uh, consuming or taking Tylenol, or do we have more people in the general community uh, consuming or taking Vicodin? You know, I mean, depending on your pain level, of course, but for uh, light pains and light migraines and light so on and so forth, you, you know, they, people like microdosing, people like the lower doses, generally speaking, generally as a whole population. Um, and I feel uh, the ability to microdose and pop open a, a, a 10 milligram can of tonic, you know, cannabis infused tonic is going to be uh, consumed by the majority of the public more than a 99% THCA uh, uh, testing uh, diamond dab. Um, 
and and that doesn't mean one's better than the other. Uh, there's no judgment here. Uh, all I'm saying is that I believe the general majority of the public um, have are more sensitive to when it comes to their tolerance. And I think that is another reason why these little 10 milligram or, or little 20 milligram gummies are, are phenomenal everywhere. And, 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 and I think that's why the government put those limits. Do I agree with those limits? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm with you on this. I think 100 milligrams isn't, <laughs> you know, that doesn't tickle me. Um, but we have to look at the population as a whole. And uh, I think as a whole, people are more sensitive as it relates to their tolerance. Yes. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have um, for other people in emerging markets? New York is going to open up eventually. Um, New Jersey's trying to, even though three quarters of the counties are, uh, are putting, you know, blocks on it or whatever. Um, what are some takeaways you've had over the years? What, what are a couple of, of pieces of advice you would give yourself or somebody else entering this space um, where you were a few years ago? Um, yeah, great question. I'd love to do this because I love to help people. Number one, uh, know what you're getting yourself into. It is not going to be as easy or as peachy and as happy-go-lucky as, as it seems. It is a difficult, difficult industry. It's a difficult business. Um, understand and be honest with yourself. Uh, um, if you're willing to make the sacrifices needed to, to be successful within this industry, and there's a ton, ton of sacrifices that need to be made. Uh, secondly, know the rules. You know, a lot of people jump in and say, oh, the green rush, the green rush. Know the rules, know the, the, the regulations, know the, the tax brackets, understand uh, uh, how you need to be compliant, what you need to do to be compliant, and how that's going to affect your day-to-day -day operations. It's very important to know the rules. People don't know the rules. An example of that was San Diego. Let me give you a quick example, just so you know the, the viewers and listeners hear what I'm saying. We had a, a, a bunch of sales in San Diego and we're like, yes, we're getting into new shops. People want candy, let's go. We're gonna get into San Diego. You know, we, we make those deliveries. We accept the payments via ACH. Luckily it was only about like four, four or five uh, stores or whatnot. Um, and then I get, a, I get an email from, from the city of San Diego. Like uh, when you come into San Diego and you make deliveries, you, there's a tax you need to pay. I had no idea, you know, penalties and interest had racked up and so on and so forth. I mean, it was naive uh, uh, from us to, to not even research that, but, you know, we do business in, in California and Los Angeles and Long Beach. We just assume that, you know, we need to pay local taxes in Los Angeles and Long Beach. Well, we don't. We need to pay taxes in, in San Diego. So it's very important to know the rules. You have to know the rules uh, before you can fully commit and invest into playing the game. Um, and uh, the last thing would be uh, to be passionate about what you do. You make sure that this is not only a money play. If it's only a money play for you, this isn't the industry for you because it's, 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 it's too tough. It's too stressful. 
it demands too much. You cannot cheat this industry. If you're not passionate about what you do, if you're not passionate about cannabis, this is not just a money grab. Uh, you know, I mean, I'd recommend express car washes or something of that nature, but cannabis is not it. Yeah, I mean, there's a fine line. You can't be so altruistic that you don't pay yourself and you stay in business way longer than you should. I see that all the time. You should have like failed like three years ago and filed bankruptcy or what? not filed bankruptcy, but just like shut your doors and walked away. You don't yeah. see that. Um, tell me a couple of things that like make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. What are some red flags from my perspective when I see uh, an attorney um, in the role of like a compliance officer, um, red flags go off. If I see a CPA in the role of a chief financial officer role, immediately shit show. That's it's that my BS detector goes off and I'm like, you're, you're failed. You're out of business. You just don't know it yet. What are some red flags from your perspective in your world? When you see other people, you're like, man, you're not going to make it. Um, you know, I hate to say that I have investors of my, <laughs> myself, but when the money guys come in and think that they've had uh, enough, they have enough business experience to operate a licensed cannabis operation, that is going to fail nine times out of 10. I guarantee you. So, you know, so if, and, I, if and, I've got a guy who's got millions and he wants to go into Oklahoma that has twice as many licenses as Oregon, Oregon has 3,500 licenses, tech, um, Oklahoma has like over 7,000. And we already know that Oregon has a ton of excess that no one wants to buy. Uh, I'm with you, man. I'm like, you are going to fail. Yeah. You know, this industry, there's a certain language that we speak. And, and that's for lack of better phrase. I mean, what I mean by that is there, it, it's a, it's a small community. It's a small industry, especially in LA. Yes. It's, it's in terms, if you look at the numbers, they're like, whoa, but you know, for the most part, look, I know a lot of the people that are doing business in Los Angeles and Long Beach and San Diego, Southern California. I know 90% of them and 90% of them know me. So what I mean by that is there's a certain language that we speak. There's certain wants that these customers, consumers have. There's certain needs that they have. There's a certain way to market to them. And we, I understand that. The guy who's successful and has 50 car washes and 100 Domino's pizza locations and lives in Palos Post Verdes on the beach and has a five million dollar house doesn't understand that language he has the money he can build this facility in a month and he can drop six seven million dollars on it and build it in a month and he'll you know he'll raise funds for politicians or he'll pay the best attorney and fill out the application and get a license in in six months but that doesn't mean he's going to be successful because he doesn't speak the language hmm. that's just my opinion that's a, that's a red flag all the time if you want to be an investor and, and God bless your soul, good, great idea. You are not investing in the industry, okay? You're investing in the person that's operating for you within the industry. My investors told me from day one, Jerry, I want to be clear, we're investing in you. I, you know, manufacturing or cultivation or, or retail stores, if you change your heart, whatever it is, we're investing in you. 
And that's the biggest thing. Uh, you know, when I see big money, big business come in, which they're going to come in, it's in inevitable. But if they come in and they want a full control and, you know, they, they can't let go of their ego or their, they, they don't forget about their resume for a second and, and understand that there's a certain language to this industry. There's a certain way of running it and there's uh, certain needs and wants that need to be met in, as it relates to the consumer. Um, and they want to take full control or, or have most control. That's going to be a failure. That's, that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Last question for you. What would it take for CanAid to be North America's number one beverage, uh, infused beverage brand? Oh, geez. Ah, that's a, that's a tough question. Because I, I don't know if you know this, but beverages are like the most expensive, lowest margin prod, a skew out there um, from, from, and I'm not talking about um, infused. I'm talking about just in general. Yeah. So you, you're, you're definitely competing against um you know, the big boys, the, the Constellation brands, can, you know, Canopy Growth, Aurora, when they come yeah. into town, um, what is it going to take for you to be North America's number one beverage manufacturer? Yeah, some luck, definitely some luck. Uh, I'm not going to be naive and, and say that, you know what, we're going to do. Definitely some luck. The ball needs to bounce our way. Uh, you know, we need to catch a couple of breaks here and there, but mainly just follow our, our you know, the, the foundation and the beliefs uh, that built this company, you know, just put a good product out there, price it competitively, um, care about our consumer. We care about our consumers a lot and just maintain that foundation. Uh, and soon enough, uh, once it gets into enough hands, I believe people will see what an amazing product we have and, and they'll fall in love with the product uh, just as much as we love our product. Would it take so, $4 billion though? <laughs> that'd be nice too. <laughs> That's a lot of money. All right, man. We yeah. talked about a lot. Uh, talked a lot about the the, um, the California market. Talked a lot about infused beverages with Canade and, and uh, Long Beach. Yeah. Um, what did we leave out? Anything that you want to cover that we left out? No, we did talk a lot. We have, uh, we also have a uh, cannabis line. When I say cannabis, I mean like pre-rolls, concentrates, and flour coming out soon. Um, and you're going to get a kick out of this one. We named that Sputnik, uh, the spaceship. Because you're going to, any any of those products you consume or smoke, you're going to go up into orbit. <laughs> That's the yeah, thought behind that. Yari Gavarian or Yari, what was the first dude in space? <laughs> Russian guy. Yeah. Nah. All right. I could look it up where can people find you at, man? What, what's your website? Where are you at on social media? Um, so I have a LinkedIn personally, social media. Uh, we have uh, we have a website. Canada has a website. Uh, so it's www.can-a.com. Uh, we get a lot of comp uh, compliments regarding our website. I, I think it's a really cool, interactive uh, website as well. Um, but you can find us on social media too. I, I think, I believe I'm checking it right now, but um, yeah, it's K-A-N underscore A-D-E underscore. So it's can underscore aid underscore. Um, and then, like I said, our website, we're on Weed Maps. Um, I personally have a LinkedIn. It's just Jerry Tut. Uh, I shortened my last name so you can find me there too. But um, yeah, that's what we do. That's what we're about. 
Uh, Sputnik's coming up with its uh, website really soon. It's uh, www.sputnikcana.com. Um, and then within both websites, we have, you know, all the locations where uh, you can find our products. So, you know, um, if you're interested in any of the products that we manufacture or produce, show some support and love to those dispensaries. They've supported us by carrying our brands. And uh, I'd love for nothing else but to to show some love to them and send some traffic their way if we can. Yeah. And are you interested in, in uh, strategic partnerships? If people want to get into California that have opportunities for you to get into their markets in Ohio or Mississippi or Florida or whatever, are you open to that? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I do a lot of those. I mean, that's mainly what I do, uh, Josh, honestly. I, you know, there's a lot of meetings, a lot of strategizing, a lot of so I've been to Oklahoma. I flew out there. I, I went out to Michigan. I, you know, I it's it's very intriguing, especially with the license that we have. We have a Type Seven. Uh, we can we have a C one D one room, a C one D two room, which those that means they're explosion proof rooms. Uh, since we're working with volatile solvents like butane, propane, and we're extracting using those solvents, uh, that might interest a lot of uh, of brands. Um, from other states. So yeah, definitely open to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of my uh, memories on Facebook was working with an asthmatic inhaler that just popped up from three years ago. So if you've got a skew uh, that Jerry doesn't already have band-aids or something else, contact him, get into that market. It's huge. Uh, with that, we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Jerry Tutanjean, uh, co-founder, uh, extraordinaire, all that. Check them out. <laughs> I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.